Curiosity. I am your host, Greg Otto. And despite the world being in the state it's in, there's still an internet to defend. So whether it's information about criminals spinning up COVID-related scams, a run-of-the-mill ransomware attack, or some other form of cybercrime, information still needs to be shared between enterprises in order to keep things working as much as possible. On this episode, I talked to Dan Young, founder of Quolab, about what he's doing to help keep the lines of information sharing open, especially in a heavily remote workforce world we are all working in. Check it out. Joining me now is Dan Young, the founder and CEO of Quolab. Dan, really appreciate you hopping aboard with us today. Greg, thank you for having me. My pleasure. We were first introduced at RSA, which feels like it might as well have happened a decade ago. Let's pick it up from there. Uh, tell me a little bit about Quolab. Uh, you guys have just announced your launch at RSA. So what's been going on since and what things are you working on that you're able to share? Absolutely. So a lot has been going on and a lot of things that we thought would be going on are not going on, as I'm sure everybody in the industry can, can sympathize with that. We uh, launched an RSA, like you said, picked a great time to come out of the woodwork and say, hey, you know, this is Quillab, here's where we're at, here's our platform, our product. And then um, RSA hit, so we've been, as a company, we've been retooling our focus as far as reaching out to clients and engaging with people. Obviously, in-person meetings and conferences and trade shows and all those good things that we used to do are kind of sidelined for now. So we're focusing on, on those areas, as well as taking the time to regroup and really focus on our platform and deliverables there. So if you can't go out and do one thing, focus on something else, which in our case means, hey, devote more efforts and resources to the platform, the development of it. We have a good group of investors that are backing us. And uh, so everything is pretty good there. And the platform itself is coming along very nicely. We just did a whole bunch of new features, uh, added in a lot of connectors. So Colab itself, by the way, is a data fusion analysis investigation platform designed to bring people and teams across different organizations, uh, different silos, if you will, together and allow them to collaborate and work together on incidents and investigations. So let's talk about the siloing for a second, because I, I feel like it's probably been a problem long before I entered the cybersecurity community about siloing data and breaking down those silos to make sure that people are getting uh, the right information. Talk to me a little bit more about how Quolab does that. I completely agree with your point. I think siloing has been around since the age of man, right? Whenever I think two people start figuring out that they had data and information, I think silos started originating for a variety of reasons. Some of them security, some of them realistic, um, and others, you know, purely political. So within a given organization, especially in the cybersecurity space, you have a lot of different work roles. You have people who spend their entire career in malware reverse engineering. You have threat intelligence analysts, you have SOC analysts, you have incident responders, you have red teamers, blue teamers. All these different roles in, in, in um, techniques and capabilities that they have, they typically use their own tooling. They use their own way of storing the data. And what Coolab says is, let's get all this in a unified framework and allow you to exchange and share the, the information that you need back and forth between team members. So a threat intelligence analyst, they have a wealth of information. But that information may not be very valuable to an organization if it's not readily available to, say, your malware reverse engineers or your incident responders who are out there dealing with an incident on a given uh, day. So Quillette provides that framework where all these the data can be fused together uh, from different silos, different tools, different organizations, and where you can have a common investigative workspace where you can go in and start digging into that data outside of like a checklist framework, right? But just looking at the data itself 
in interacting with other team members in a natural way. So obviously interacting with team members has jumped a few levels in difficulty Mm -hmm. since uh, the pandemic has occurred. Uh, I would love to hear the impact and importance of information sharing at any time, but especially during a time of this disparate workforce that we're all in right now. Absolutely. And so, for example, my background came from the government space. I spent a lot of time working for the Department of Defense doing incident response and data security. And right now in organizations like that, as well as, say, financial institutions that typically had a a large-scale SOC with a 24-hour operations where they're going in and they're working on these events, that's kind of come to a screeching halt with the need to stay at home, right? Governor's orders and so forth. That's where I think information sharing and having that ability to work with people outside of sitting next to each other or walking over to somebody's desk, right? That's where um, a lot of the impact that we've seen in the cybersecurity field is simply because people can't have that face-to-face communication. So, of course, technologies like Zoom for video chat and so forth are very critical and very needed, but they also have the need to exchange threat information and data and case data uh, back and forth, which fortunately for us is a, is a solution that Quillab provides. Um, but of course, there's a lot of other great tools out there that are helping teams address the, the remote working or the disparate uh, working environment. So what are some of the other main challenges that teams and collaborative partners have been facing during this time with regards to information sharing? So I think a lot of the uh, some of the other challenges that they're having is people in time schedules. So even in a small company like ours, we're less than 20 people, right? And with the stay-at-home orders and families being disrupted, meaning that sometimes you have to take hours out of your day to take care of the kids because your spouse might also be working and so forth. I think the uh, the shift in, in time zones and the shift in also just people's general work schedules has become quite challenging to where a lot of conversations may have been going from live to more of a email type format which brings a whole lot of other challenges, especially time delays. So one of the things that we're seeing from our customers is complaints in in the amount of time that it actually takes to respond to a given incident or event. You would think that just because people are online, they have connectivity, that you would be able to track and manage and effectively respond to events and incidents. But the reality is that Sometimes you have to have physical presence to a machine or a system, right? You have to have physical access to a you know, a CEO's laptop when it gets ransomware on it and events like that, that we're seeing um, that being coming very challenging to address. So let's talk about uh, addressing that because while everybody is still indoors, you know, the internet hasn't burned completely to the ground. So mm-hmm. what successful methods have you seen implemented that address the challenges of information sharing during the pandemic? And how have teams been able to maintain a high level of collaboration? Some of the areas where we've helped some of the clients that we work with, uh, both in Europe and the United States on this specifically, is helping them transition to more of a cloud type infrastructure. So teams that were predominantly located in infrastructure in a given specific location, like with a server room and so forth, you're seeing that, or if they had a, you know, a workspace where the SOC members came together, you're seeing a huge surge, in, at least from our end, in usage of online storage and online processing, stuff that you can get to and access no matter where you are in the world. And the bandwidth is not necessarily an issue at that point because you're able to upload and process the data in that manner. So more of a push to cloud and also, interestingly enough, more of a push to MSPs. So instead of an organization, say a a bank of 5,000 to 10,000 members, instead of them pushing forward with what used to be a SOC renewal, where they were trying to rebuild their SOC or build up better capabilities in SOC, now they're pivoting and focusing and saying, now we need to look for and find a 
MSP that can deliver this for us. So outsourcing their capabilities because of two challenges. Number one, hiring people now is a huge issue, right? You can't just bring them into the company and give them access to your systems. And then number two, training them is is um, next to impossible. So saying, why don't we outsource and crowdsource our cybersecurity efforts as well as reaching out to, so that's one way, right? Pivoting their SOC from an internal to more MSP or a managed method. And then the secondary method change that we're seeing too is then pivoting to focus in collaboration and data exchange and sharing and realizing that if we don't have all the capabilities that we thought we had internally in-house, what about using our partners or our customers even and their capabilities, what they're seeing and sharing that data back and forth with each other to build out and essentially crowdsource your cybersecurity efforts. So you bring up MSPs, and that's uh, interesting to me because we've seen uh, a bunch of big MSPs uh, get attacked over the past six mm-hmm. months. Cognizant comes to mind too. So I'm wondering what you're hearing from your customers in the need to go out there and get an MSP to outsource what they need from an IT perspective, but also the cybersecurity worries that come with that. Yeah, the cybersecurity worries are definitely valid, right? Because you're taking your entire your critical infrastructure, at least in the lens of some clients, you're taking your critical infrastructure and basically opening that by pushing that data to a third party, the MSP in this case, as well as you're you're pushing it outside of the control of your VPN protected network, for example. If you have a segregated ecosystem where you're running your cybersecurity events, now all of a sudden you're you're kind of having to let somebody have a third party person have access to it. And the challenge with that is making sure that the tools that you're implementing and the processes that you're putting in place are properly vetted and taking account for proper security. You know, are they using encryption? Are they using TFA, uh, two-factor authentication? Are they, um, is the MSP, do they have policies and procedures in place to actually protect and enclave your data, segregate it from, say, other customers' data and so forth? And that's where I think some MSPs are rock stars, quite frankly, uh, because they, they started with that mindset um, already. And they said, why don't we build this out from the ground up, you know, we have proper vetting and qualification of our staff. We have proper vetting and qualification of all the technologies that we bring in. And now we also have the infrastructure to support that remotely. And it's a shift. It definitely is a shift. It's a, also, I think, a shift for CISOs um, because it's kind of given up that control in a way that a traditional SOC may have had on their security and saying, look, I'm not being able to execute this myself properly. I need help on this. So I'm going to trust MSSP to come in and actually provide that for me. I could imagine that would be quite a challenge for a lot of CISOs to to adapt to. So speaking of just crime overall, since uh, the pandemic has started, what have those increases been like? Or have you even seen an increase uh, at all? Are security teams faced with more bad stuff to watch out for? Absolutely. And it's funny because people stuck at home and you, you'd assume that a lot of the threat actors that are out there, I'm not talking nation state level, I'm talking more like organized crime threat actors. They obviously have a lot more time on their hands. If they're working a typical eight to five and they're hacking on the side, part of the hacking network on the side, well, now all of a sudden they're probably stuck at home a lot more and they have more free time to do that. So we have seen a correlation of increases in attacks We've also seen a correlation and in increases of like uh, COVID-19 scams. I don't know if you're familiar with the John Hopkins, for example. They're, um, they have a really cool website that offers you 
information on COVID-19 numbers, you know, incidences, infections by country, by state, by city. Right, their dashboard. Yeah, their dashboard, right? That has been multiple times spoofed and people unknowingly thinking they're going to the John Hopkins website are in fact going to a uh, site that is just delivering malware to them, uh, ransomware in one case, where if you clicked on the dashboard, it asks you to install, you know, load a cookie or whatever, and the next thing you know, you're, you're compromised. So have you seen anything else besides ransomware? Because I know ransomware uh, has been a big thing, especially with regards to the healthcare sector, but I would imagine that there's a lot more going on out there than just poking around on systems in the hopes that they can be ransomed. So poking around on systems is one, but we're seeing also um, in the United States, for example, you had, and I think other countries are doing the same, but in the United States, there's the, the stimulus checks that are being issued, right, by the government. People get emails, they get notifications that this has been delivered to you. Well, quite a few um, cases of, of coordinated campaigns going after people and using this as the excuse like, to get them into their network and provide their bank information and bank details. Actually, I had a member of my family fall prey to that um, a couple weeks ago. And I tell you, they're vicious and they're out there. The problem is for the individual user, being on top and aware of that is much more difficult than a uh, properly managed SOC, right, that is vetting the traffic that's coming across via emails and so forth. But yeah, it, we're definitely seeing a surge in of criminals are always active, right? They're always looking for that next um, thing that they can do. And they're definitely taking advantage of the situation here. So, Dan, you have a Lab and the technology to help organizations get better with information sharing. But outside of the technology, what else do you think needs to be done to help improve information sharing? I think cultural change needs to happen, right? In the United States, our, our country is going through some massive cultural changes as the political sphere, as well as the cultural economics, right, of what we're, we're seeing from the pandemic and then the Black Lives Matter and other incidences. From a cybersecurity standpoint, I think the same thing kind of needs to happen, that we need to realize that individual teams, even if you're a large bank and you have 100 members in your SOC that are working and, and running, um, it might sound, you know, you might have a really cool room with great, you know, overhead views of, of your threat landscape. You might have put millions of dollars into your, your IDS and your IPS, your SEAMs and all these other security control tools. If you're not exchanging and sharing threat data, Essentially, you're putting yourself, you're limiting your capabilities to just those hundred members and tools that they have. And one of the areas where we're hoping, especially Colab, not uh, as a team, as an organization, as you know, intellectually beyond just selling our, our product, which we love to do, obviously, but it's also helping educate and shape people's minds to say, look, you need to, as an institution, you have to get into a mindset where you're sharing threat information data, and um, you're you're focusing on what. Uh, General Keith Alexander talks about, so the former director of NSA, and if you follow him on Twitter and on LinkedIn, he's talking a lot about the need for collaborative defense. And that is absolutely something that I could not agree more with. And I absolutely believe is for us to get the leg up on the cyber criminals, whether it be it for COVID-19 related issues, whether, you know, whatever kind of um, types of attacks and events that we're seeing, the proper way to defend against them is to unite and have a true exchange of threat information and rapid and real time uh, versus this ad hoc, you know, pushing it out, maybe alerting our stakeholders after we've 
after the compromise has already hit us and we've tried to do mitigation. But truly sharing information at the instantaneous level and, and helping protect others from attacks that we're experiencing ourselves, as well as um, protecting our internal stakeholders, clients, and so forth by pushing down best practices to them and, and making ourselves available to help them when needed. Dan, really appreciate your insights. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you, Greg. Thanks again to Dan for taking the time to talk to us. And that is it for this week. We will catch you again soon. But in the meantime, stay safe, stay healthy, and as always, stay curious.